Hello, my guest this week is an expert in high energy physics, cryptography, and differential geometry. All those skills and more are par for the course where he works. He's the director of research at Enchain, which is a London research and development company for enterprise blockchain. So welcome, Dr. Owen Vaughan. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for doing this, Owen. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. I mentioned some rather diverse skills there, uh, high energy physics, cryptography, and differential geometry. Is there, is there a sort of connection between them? Funnily enough, there, there kind of is. So I studied something called string theory, which is a branch of theoretical physics. And it's a highly geometric framework. And that led me to further down the route of studying geometry, which I did for my postdoc. And something called elliptic curves are a fundamental object in differential geometry. And I was quite surprised when I moved over to blockchain to realize that they are uh, also a foundational object in modern cryptography. So digital signatures in Bitcoin are based on elliptic curves. Right. <laughs> you had lots to talk about in your job interview then. <laughs> well, I didn't know it at the time. I only found out afterwards. Oh, okay. Well, so you're director of research at Enchain. Give me an idea of what that sort of research department consists of, would you? So I work with around 20 fantastically talented individuals, and we work on a pipeline of ideas that um, are candidates for products or, or other um, services. And our focus is on scalable blockchain technology. So everything we do was relevant five years ago, just it will be in five years' time um, and beyond that. And so do, does that work divide into sort of subgroups? Are there sort of big separate areas that you are looking into? Yeah, absolutely. So one of those is cryptography. So how can we use modern advances in cryptography to enhance data privacy or give you greater control over the data you have on the blockchain? Another is network theory. So the Bitcoin network itself is a completely new type of network with its own topology and it grows and changes over time. And it's very important to understand how that will happen in order to make sure the network keeps functioning the way we want it to or whether the application you build on top of the blockchain works the way you want it to in the future as well. Other than that, we uh, study economics and we want to show governments and central banks that using a blockchain really enhances the welfare of your citizens and isn't just a fancy new piece of technology. It's quite sort of basic research, isn't it? It's almost pure mm. research mm. rather than mm. product development. It, it's foundational research, um, but we do believe everything we do enhances our products, either for us or our partners, and makes them the best on the market. But it is really providing the plumbing, the building blocks to make things happen. And it's such a wonderfully rich environment with which to research because there's so much to do and so much potential. So as a uh, someone who's a research scientist by training, it's a fantastic uh, environment to work in. I remember when I talked to Dr. Craig Wright, who wrote the white paper as Satoshi Nakamoto, I slightly annoyed him, I think, by saying, are there things that you've discovered about the blockchain since you wrote the white paper and sort of set it going in 2009? And his actually was... You know, there aren't things to be discovered. It's, it's all got to be invented, you know. Mm -hmm. But 
would you say that your approach is almost like when you say researching blockchain, you're kind of investigating what it can do and what what it has to offer rather than simply being more like an inventor? Yes. So it, it's we understand very well the software that the blockchain runs on. And in fact, in Enchain, we developed the Node software as well. So from my perspective, it's great working with very talented software engineers. Um, but you're right in the sense that the use cases we can get from it are, are really surprising and they're so rich. And uh, just this week, we found out we could use uh, the property of miners validating transactions to open up a whole new paradigm in the field of um, cryptography in knowledge proofs. So I, from my perspective, at least, it certainly does feel like discovering new inventions that the blockchain allows. And in the way that some research universities kind of have a free hand in their research, it sounds like you are not constantly having somebody looking over your shoulder saying, you know, how are we going to commercialize this in the next six months? Our strategy is to conduct blue sky research, and we feel it's necessary to be creative to make sure we can come up with ideas that weren't necessarily predictable in the past. A good example of that is a threshold signature scheme that my colleague, um, Dr. Michaela Petit, invented. That was not something we imagined was possible, but we've ended up with a potential product that is the best in the market. At the same time, we do want to make sure all our research is relevant to product development. And a lot of the um, requirements or problem statements, we want to come directly from industry and from people building products on the blockchain. As director of research, how much is your time sort of taking briefs from the, the big wide world? You know, this would be useful if we could do this. And how much is it one of your team comes up to you and says, look, I really like, I'm really fascinated by this. I'd like to sort of go ahead and explore it. Can I have X amount of time to, to do that? Mm -hmm. It's evolving. So in the early days of Enchain, which started off as a, a research-led organization around five years ago, it was really that type of inside-out research. So we were imagining what use cases could be possible and trying to predict what problems would be encountered and providing solutions for them. But as Enchain is becoming a product-oriented company, we're learning what are the challenges in the market and we can be more targeted about how to solve them. And we imagine that will become a greater part of our research pipeline in the future. One of the things that Enchain is known for, either as a compliment or as an insult, actually, strangely, is its patent portfolio. Mm -hmm. How important is being able to patent something in considering whether a piece of research is, is worth doing? Um, to us, it's kind of a parallel stream. So we are concerned with producing insights um, and turning them into well-written and communicated papers, which we call white papers. And if we feel that contains a new invention, we will try and get that patented. But from our perspective, it's not the main objective in the work we do. I think it is necessary for a few reasons. One is it uh, justifies the investment in the research, um, and which is a very long-term bet. So the return on a patent might be a 20 to 30-year um, horizon. It also helps defend 
uh, both Enchain as a company and BSV as an ecosystem against um, other operators who have their own patent portfolios. So it's also a, a defensive um, process as well. Yeah, somehow or other, this phrase patent troll is, is an insight. I've never quite understood why it's such a bad thing to acquire patents, but you are subject to criticism for, I suppose the, the, the charge would be just acquiring patents for their own sake so that you can collect money from other people. But again, I'm not quite sure what's wrong with that. Well, I wouldn't classify Enchain as a patent troll because we create the patents in the first place. So we invest in knowledge and uh, idea generation. Right. Being a troll, the definition of that would be that you're buying yeah. other people's patents simply to yeah, generate right. revenue from them. Yeah. So, okay. So you're, that's the answer to that charge. Mm. Yeah. In, I mean, in the early days, Enchain was in stealth mode. So people didn't, they couldn't see what we were producing. But now we're being a lot more open with it. And you don't hear that type of. Um, charge so much anymore. Right. And now, Dr. Craig Wright is uh, the chief scientist of Enchain. How does his sort of work fit into the whole machinery of how Enchain works? Craig is our biggest contributor of ideas to the research pipeline, particularly in the early days. Uh, he also implicit in those ideas is a vision and strategy for the research team um, and the values that we now uh, are encompassed by BSV. But to me, originally, he was just a colleague who had um, a lot of experience and a very broad range of interests and could give quite useful ideas and feedback on the, the projects I was working on. And it, we still treat him like that as just a, another member of our research team. You're one of Greg Wright's many interests and skills is in economics. And I heard you mention economics as one of your research fields. That's That's quite unusual for a tech company to be researching economics, really, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, that's what makes the job so interesting. You have to become an expert in many different fields. So my background is in geometry and from that cryptography, but you also need to have a very good understanding of computer science, um, of network theory, and also of economics, because the security of Bitcoin relies on economics, which is a completely new paradigm. And where it comes up in our day-to-day -day research, well, firstly, Bitcoin is an economic framework, fundamentally, but also we are looking into rolling out digital cash solutions for central banks. So that's a second economy or a second cash flow mechanism on top of the Bitcoin economy. So it's very important to understand what that might mean for inflation, for example, or monetary supply and cash flow. Are you having conversations with central bankers in which you are almost presenting them with information and research about the world in which they operate in order to help them understand what the possibilities of blockchain solutions might be? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we believe we're more than just a tech company, but we are capable of explaining why it would be a good thing to transition your monetary uh, system onto the blockchain and what that what the benefits could be and the tools it could give your central bankers and we can help model that we can help pilot the scheme and analyze the results you're almost entering to the world of politics in that field i would imagine because changing a country's economy in in such a fundamental way is going to be a political decision in the end yes absolutely so yeah we're we are it is a political question um, 
and the others, yeah. Do you have political advisors at Enchain? Or? <laughs> no, but I believe Craig has studied uh, law extensively in the past and, yeah, and has yeah. given presentations at the, the House of Lords, for example. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's, doing, he's done various law degrees, I think, hasn't he? So, yeah, well, maybe they'll all come in useful one day. <laughs> what do you think is going to be the area that is going to most uh, impress people in the years to come with uh, pers- to persuade people that, this whole building on blockchain thing is reliable, working at scale, producing very tangible economic benefits. Do you have a sort of personal idea as to what you are most optimistic about? Yes. Well, I'm not sure um, the average everyday person will care about blockchain or use Bitcoin as a payment system. But I think we might get to the point where the blockchain is the infrastructure that powers services and products that will deliver real-world value. Uh, It will promote transparency in our financial and political systems, and it will offer um, greater data security and privacy for everyday users. So hopefully they'll see the benefits or feel the benefits of the technology without necessarily being aware of it themselves. Right. So it'll be a bit like, I don't really need to know how the internet works, but I'll be able to use the applications of it. Yes, and also you don't really care how electricity works, but you're happy to pay a certain amount per month to use the appliances in your house as you would like to use them. So it might be a similar situation with Bitcoin. That question of being in the background is an interesting one because a couple of years ago, everybody was saying, let me tell you about Bitcoin. Um, you can buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. That was always the example, is the cup of coffee. But I don't hear people talking about that so much anymore. Do you think we will end up, if Bitcoin is successful in the way that you're thinking, do you think we may still end up with a world where people have Bitcoin in wallets on their phones and use it every day or not? You know, Charles, I'm not too sure. I, I think if people don't use Bitcoin explicitly, then I hope that the implicit benefits of a much uh, cheaper transaction network will still be felt by people in their everyday lives. What well, so, for instance, they might have microtransactions as a way of paying for stuff that they're using online rather than having to see ads and selling their data and that kind of thing. Yeah, I certainly think that's one option. Um, also, they the cost of goods may go down because you don't have to pay such high fees to the credit card companies. When Enchain is approaching big businesses... I mean, uh, I would imagine certainly in relation to CBDCs, then the, the question of El Salvador is not especially useful, probably, mm-hmm. and it's Bitcoin experiments. But do you find generally that there is a, a negative perception that has to be overcome before you can really start explaining things in detail? It's very much dependent on the country, but there are certain countries or parts of the world where you can't even say the word Bitcoin. So that indicates that as a brand, it has somewhat been, uh, has negative connotations sometimes. Well, you're not allowed to say the word Bitcoin. You're allowed to say the word, but in your promotional material, it might be beneficial if you don't mention it. For example, if you organize a conference, it might be better to call it a blockchain conference rather than a Bitcoin conference. Uh, but the approach we believe in at Enchain is one is the technology that underpins the other and blockchain can't exist separately from Bitcoin. Um, but we understand that the, that tactically you might choose how you uh, promote 
your solutions um, depending on the different jurisdictions. I mean, I know you've, you've been at Enchain for a few years. You? Yeah, four years now. Four years. Well, that's sort of an ancient history in terms of Bitcoin development, I suppose. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just wondering how you perceive the rate of progress and where we are on that. Because four years is quite a long time. And certainly I've, I've been involved in this peripherally for about three years. And I certainly I always have the sense that we're just on the brink of a sort of huge breakthrough that is going to mean that everybody understands Bitcoin, everyone's going to be using it, and the world is going to change in, in a dramatic way. But somehow or other, it's always just sort of slightly over the horizon. Is that what, what's your thought, thoughts on that? Well, from the perspective of uh, research and development, a few years ago when I first started, it felt like we were the only ones pursuing this research agenda that was focused on scalable Bitcoin technology. Whereas now we're seeing lots of different groups within the BSV ecosystem engaging in really serious research and understanding at a very fundamental level some of the insights um, that we've been thinking about for a while. So we've had to step up our game in order to keep up and stay at the cutting edge of research and development within the BSV ecosystem. So I certainly have felt that change. Right. So that's very encouraging then the sort of the people snapping at your heels and you you feel that there are more people uh, getting interested and getting serious about all this. Yeah. And becoming specialists. Right. And that means that we can get the, the most applications out of the technology because they're capable of taking it to places we never thought before. I mean, an example of that is you can see demand for the transaction size and in particular the um, script limits being lifted because people want people envisage use cases that rely on large transactions and large scripts and that could only be dreamed about uh, several years ago. Great. So it's both the technology that is evolving in the right direction and the sort of social interest in it, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good note to end on, a positive note to end <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, it hopefully means we're doing something right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Owen. It's been really interesting and really good luck with your work. Thank you very much, Charles. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much to Owen Vaughan. Next week, I'll be learning about medicine, wrapping, and a bit about BSV too, as my guest is Dr. Mandeep Singh or just Mandy to his fans. There's a lot to talk about, and we'll be hearing some of his music too, so please join me and Mandeep next week. Until then, many thanks for listening, and goodbye.